Bows and TKOs, we are live, episode 14 on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon, as I am just ready for football season, heading to night two of the Drake concert here in Arizona, Drake and 21 Savage, 21, can you do something for me? So yeah, good day, great day, lots of MMA action, UFC pay-per-view event back this weekend, and uh, we got a loaded show. It's episode 14. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. So let's jump right in. Um, not a ton of matchups and news since last episode. I uh, put out the episode last week on Friday, filmed it Thursday. So only a few days to gather up that news. But was able to watch the Dana White Contender Series episode 5. So we'll break that down a little bit as well. So some fights in the MMA world. We have Daniel Marcos. And Daniel Santos, November 4th. That's going to be a fun fight of two scrappy individuals. Uh, so stay tuned for that in November. We have Felipe Lins and Jan Kutalaba, uh, October 7th. That's going to be a banger. No doubt they're going to be throwing hands for three rounds. We have Montana De La Rosa and Stephanie Egger, October 7th. Uh, that's going to be a high-quality matchup. Very important matchup for both women. Short notice acceptance by Cody Brundage here, taking on Jacob Malkoon, September 23rd. So just a couple weeks out, he's taking on a very tough Jacob Malkoon. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And really exciting fight that got announced just hours ago in the flyweight division. We have Matt Schnell and Steve Astroboy Ersig, UFC 295 MSG. I mean, Steve Ersig, Astro Boy, shooting up the UFC after a fantastic UFC debut win over David Dvorak, a ranked opponent. Gets another ranked opponent now on pay-per-view. MSG doesn't get better than that. In news around MMA, this is a, this is a fun one. Mighty Mouse wins the IBJJF uh, Brown Belt Giga, uh, Grappling Competition. His first ever um, grappling competition outside of MMA. Does it in the gi at brown belt. Makes it look like slight work. I mean, clap it up for the legend Mighty Mouse out there doing the damn thing. And then, uh, no surprise here, but after the Earl Spence-Terrence Crawford fight, Earl Spence is wanting to trigger the rematch clause. Uh, supposedly, it's looking like it's going to be at 154 pounds. So it'll be interesting to see the details as that shakes out as that's going to be a, a massive rematch and see if, um, you know, this could be a more competitive fight than the first round. But, yeah, yesterday on Tuesday we had the Contender Series, Episode 5. Got my fantasy draft in. Liking the squad. Really freaking hyped up for football this year. I don't know. As a Steelers fan, there's just a little bit of buzz in the air. And, uh, you know, obviously college football always delivers as well. But, um on episode five, not an amazing episode. I thought the last fight was really the only f uh, fight that like put eyes on the event. Um, but Diani Barbosa with a round one arm bar, she gets her contract. Both girls getting dominant positions in jiu-jitsu, getting sweeps, rolling around for a while. She finishes with the arm bar. So she looked quality. We had uh, Serhi Sydney with a round one TKO at bantamweight. So it's a really sketch stoppage. Uh, but... Um, you know, he still got the finish. And then Brenson Ribeiro, man. I think he was like 
plus 400 underdog, massive underdog, comes out, takes the fight on short notice, round one TKO, and clearly his opponent looked like a, a very quality opponent, a potential UFC quality. So at light heavyweight, they insert a new killer, the division that could use more killers and more quality opponents. The light heavyweight division probably outweighs everyone there. So he gets a contract. There was five contracts awarded. Dana White called one of the fights the worst fight in Contender Series history. Uh, but one guy was trying to grapple guillotine the whole time. So he gave a contract to the other guy, which was interesting. But um, definitely a lack of you know zest in this episode. I watched Hard Knocks the same night. Enjoyed Hard Knocks a lot more. I'm hoping they do the in-season Hard Knocks again like they did with the Cardinals last year. I haven't seen any um, validation in that. Uh, but I've liked, you know, some other shows that I'm watching in sports a lot more than the Contender Series so far this year. Uh, but watch out for Brenson Ribeiro. A fight I did like was the French crowd fight night Paris last week. Getting off the golf course, nice little golf course action on a cooler day here in the desert. And uh, come back home, watch the fights. I went three and two in picks. We didn't pick a ton of fights on this card. It was pretty shallow. Uh, but did, boy, did uh, the main fights deliver. So for overall record, bows and TKOs, 83 and 52. Still uh, over 30 on the positive side, 31 to be exact. So uh, not mad about it. Let's see how the picks shake out this week. But for Paris, Paris, there was one fight we did not break down that showed out was a performance of the night. So 50K bonus to Morgan Shereri. First round TKO over Manolo Zucchini, and it was just by crazy body kicks, brutal body kicks, shut that liver down, so bravo, Morgan. But we're going to kick this episode off in the prelims, where we had Farid Basharat with a round one submission via arm triangle, that's my favorite uh, submission, over Kledson Rodriguez, and this is Kledson's first UFC fight in the bantamweight division, he struggled to make weight and flyweight. Looked like a solid competitor at flyweight. And, and boy, did he get humbled a little bit here by Farid. I mean, him and Javid, the brothers, uh, it's like the Bonfine brothers. These guys are coming in, coming in hot, and they are very well-rounded fighters. And Farid showcased this to Kledson, who's a, you know unorthodox striker that comes at you at weird angles. Farid wasn't having it. He got in close distance and, and was able to find the submission um, and had gr brilliant transitions with the jiu-jitsu game to get to side control. Um, or, or have that arm triangle be able to come over and seek it in. Once he had it, you knew it was over. Statistically, Farid landed 25 total strikes, only four of those significant. He did have two takedowns in five attempts, so not great. Kledson was battling. He did have that submission attempt, and Kledson landed 25 total strikes as well, seven of those significant. So Farid, he's still undefeated on an 11-fight winning streak. He is 3-0 in the UFC. And Kledson starts a new losing streak. He moves to 2-2 two two in the UFC, 0-1 in bantamweight. So what's next for these young bloods? I would love to see Farid take on Rayoni Barcelos, who just fought Kyler Phillips. I think stylistically that would be a fantastic fight. Um, and if not, how about Cody Stamen, a guy coming off a loss, been there, done that type of opponent to kind of welcome you into the top 20 of the, the division. And for Kledson, if he does stay in bantamweight, I think a fight with Christian Quinones would make sense. That would be the fight for me. Only fight we broke down in the prelims 
So jumping into the main card, we had Vulcan Ozdemir with a round one submission via rear naked choke over Bogdan Guskov. And I was a little worried about the power and the, the KO, KO ability of Bogdan. And he hit, hit Vulcan with a couple clean shots. But Vulcan was the aggressor. It looked like he had a little bit of a new swagger and confidence to him. Welcome him Bogdan to the UFC. You know, Vulcan's been there with some elite uh, fighters in his division. And he acted like this was the, was the Vulcan show. I was a little shy to put him on Sabet's. Uh, I really wish I did, uh, especially a round one submission. I'm sure that was a nice prop bet. Uh, but Vulcan looking new and improved. He landed 36 total strikes, 26 of those significant. He had a takedown and submission attempt as well as that knockdown. And Bogdan landed 10 total strikes, eight of those significant. So he really didn't get the opportunity. Ozdemir was in his face, cleaning him up. And uh, what a brilliant display. So Vulcan starts a new winning streak. He is 2-1 and one since 2022, been pretty active. And Bogdan starts a new losing streak that ends his four-fight winning streak. Welcome to the UFC. So for Vulcan, I would really love to see him take on Ryan Spann. I think that would be a great next fight. Spann coming off the loss. Both guys right in the mix in the top 15. Power striker stylistically. Both guys should be happy with that. And for Bogdan, how about Devin Clark? Um, another very solid opponent. Well-rounded. Been there. Fought some of the brass. So tough fight for Bogdan, but... Uh, you're on the UFC roster, so welcome to the to the family. And uh, what a performance. The French fighters really doing work. I think the only French fighter that took a loss was French via French uh, and was a short-notice fill-in affair. So Benoit Saint-Denis, man, round two TKO over Tiago Moises, fight of the night, 50 Gs. I said this had fight of the night potential, and this was pretty much everything I expected except I expected after Benoit's crazy round one where he really was not allowing Thiago to feel comfortable, was in his face the entire fight, looked like the lengthier, longer fighter, although the reach advantages weren't, weren't drastic by any means. Um, Thiago just couldn't get going. He had to kind of prove himself in there with Benoit that was just slugging power shots, and he landed a couple, missed a few. I thought round two, his more technical striking would really showcase and he would uh, push through Benoit um, after he gassed out a little bit, and that was not the case. Benoit was all over him, got the, the TKO finish, and you could only take so many shots up against the cage. He couldn't get away from the cage. He tried to circle. He tried to do the thing. Benoit would just put him right back there and was just chopping leg kicks, Bilal Muhammad style. I mean, Benoit Saint-Denis, stand up, man. Uh, what a performance. Watch out for this guy. Um, brutal loss for Tiago. He's fought a lot of a lot of quality opponents and that's the life in like the top 30 of the lightweight division. I think the bantamweight one through 50 is the best. I think, you know, the top 20, top 30, and obviously the top 15, the lightweight has the, the most skilled fighters personally. So brutal loss for Tiago at this point in his career, but Benoit landed 123 total strikes, 101 of those significant and about a round and a half. He had five takedowns and nine attempts you know, Tiago ended up getting a takedown. That was really the only way he could go get momentum and get Benoit off of him. I mean, maybe he should have done that earlier, but uh, it was crazy seeing Benoit being the grappling heavy guy. Um, five takedowns, nine attempts, that's good conversion. And for Tiago, he had 27 total strikes, 24 of those significant with the takedown. In three attempts, he had a submission attempt as well. 
And this just shows you the growth that Benoit has in an all-around game. We haven't seen that grappling-heavy style. He's, he showed he could do it against a good grappler, and uh, he is really becoming the full package. Um, Benoit extends his winning streak to four. He is one and four in the UFC, lost his pro debut, got beat up pretty bad, and has been on a tear since. I've been betting against him every time or picking against him, and it has not quite worked out. Um, I did put a prop in, Tiago Moises, second round finish via submission or TKO, and uh, I, I picked the wrong guy there. But Tiago starts a new losing streak. He is 2-1 since 2022. So I would love to see Benoit, you know, he's, he's proven his arrival, get into the top 15. How about, I want my money, Renato Moicano or Dan Hooker. Those would be fantastic matchups. I cannot wait to see what this guy does next. I don't think a lot of these guys are going to want to fuck with them. So it's going to be really interesting to see what's next for Saint-Denis. And then for Tiago, how about a scrap with Diego Fajeda? Again, welcome to the lightweight. The veterans that are sitting out there as gatekeepers are, are, are scary and good. And then the young studs are, are, are high quality as well. So it does not get easy for, for that man. And then moving to the co-main event, we had Manon Fierro with the unanimous decision victory over Rose Namajunas. And I talked about a ton of storylines here. This was one of the fights I got wrong coming into this card. Uh, but the big story to me was the finger, the pinky finger on Rose's right hand, which is her power hand. I don't know if it was dislocated or fractured, but it looked like a Z. It was all hanging out sideways. The announcers called it early just because her hand wasn't closed. And you could see this pinky kind of hanging out on the outside. And um, after the first round, Rose brought up her pinky. Her boyfriend, who was the coach, no Trevor Whitman, she changed gyms, um, was like, you don't need a pinky, and that's all he said. Um, if it was dislocated, he didn't look at it or have someone look at it to try to fix it or say, hey, okay, the right hand, can he still punch? Can he grasp? Is that possible? What's next? How do we overcome this? He, he kind of just shucked, shucked it out of there. So I didn't like the way that was handled. Um, I definitely missed Trevor Whitman in her corner, but Rose is a stud. She knows what she's doing. Outside of that, um, you know, she, she wasn't able to throw that right hand. I think rounds two and three, you barely saw her throw a right hand. She was looking to get some takedowns, had some nice leg trip attempts and takedown attempts. And Rose, since the fight has been over, has said, hey, the weight has nothing to do with it. I feel comfortable at flyweight. I'm not going back to straw weight. Um, I don't think size was an issue at all. I think for those takedowns, she usually would have gotten those takedowns, which really changes the, the perception of how that fight plays out, in my opinion. And she could it with Manone. When she's coming in full body, those leg trips, you got to have a little bit of mass to push into that person. If they're bigger than you, they could kind of just get pushed back and, and balance on their feet and get out of those takedown attempts. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, um, I do think that size did play a, an advantage here a little bit. And clearly, Manone just has a little bit more oomph in her hands. She landed a lot of strikes pretty consistently. I did see weird things on social media that people thought Rose got robbed. I thought uh, Manone clearly won this fight every round of it. And I'm a huge, huge Rose fan. Um, so I'm not too sure where that's coming from or if it, there's any credibility there at all. But, uh, you know, this is Rose's first fight at flyweight. Manone is a stud. She's undefeated, hasn't had a title opportunity. She's due for it. Um, I think that um, Rose has a different game plan. You know, she, she hung in there. She did her thing. I think there is a path to victory. I just don't think it was executed right. And that pinky really played a part in it. I think that pinky doesn't happen. You know, that the fight would have played out a little bit differently. 
I think with the different coaching uh, and gym, I, I think Rose potentially is fighting for the flyweight championship. Um, so it's just a lot of weird drama with this one. As much as I love Thug, um, I, I've enjoyed her since the Ultimate Fighter. I said she's going to be champion one day. She uh, blew those expectations out of the water for me as a fight fan. You know, knocking out Zhang Weilei, uh, beating her twice, beating Ioana, beating some very, very good women. And the women continue to get better, you know, every other year, it seems like, drastically. And Rose has hung in there. Obviously, working with Trevor Whitman has been huge. Um, but it's just, it's just like, where does she go from here? She just didn't look to be her free self, the aggressor. Um, you know, she hung in there. She's tough. She's durable. She did what she had to do through three rounds. But that was not the best of Thug Rose, and I'm excited to see her next opportunity. Although, I thought she'd go back to strawweight today, and yesterday she said, no, that's not going to be a thing. So looking at the stats, Manon landed 62 total strikes, 58 of those significant. She was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. And Rose landed 60 total strikes and significant while going 0 for 6 in takedown attempts. And that's really the big story. She gets one of those, gets some top of control, some ground and pound, maybe tires out Manon first. I mean, if this was a five-round affair, Rose definitely had more in the gas tank. But she, you know, as, as weird as those stats look like, she was not the aggressor and wasn't landing with volume as frequently as Manon was, in my opinion. But Manon extends her winning streak to 11 She's only lost her pro debut. She is 6-0 in the UFC. Watch out, Manone. And Rose starts her first losing streak in the UFC. One at strawweight, one at flyweight. Um, what's next for these women? I think Manone's going to fight for the title. I know that Blanchfield is, is very well deserving, but uh, no one's more deserving than Manone. And for Rose, I did think she would stay at strawweight, and I think that's where she's, she's going to be the better fighter. But that has since changed, so let me see if I could quickly on the fly see if I could pick her up a good um, flyweight fight because I had her going against Yan Shan, uh, Yan or Verna Jandaroba. I think those would be great if Yan didn't get the title fight. So looking at flyweight, she lost Manone. Talia Santos, I mean, that's fine. Caitlin Chukagian. Very, very tough fight. Some big women there, uh, but there's not a lack of opponents. I would like to see her fight Santos. Chukagian, long, lengthy. That would be uh, uh, not the best of styles for her, but um, either way, Rose is a beast. She's thug Rose for a reason, and I would not bet against her in her future. But Manone finally gets a title shot. Massive, massive for her. I could only imagine, um, you know, the breath of fresh air unless they do sneak Aaron in, but I don't think they need to rush her. So to the main of event, I called this, let's call a spade a spade. I said, first round, Ghana is just going to keep Sergey at distance. He's going to avoid those takedowns. Round two, he's going to snipe himself a knockout. It wasn't a clean as knockout as, as I expected. It was more, more so just Sergey was kind of stone-footed once he couldn't get takedowns. He was just kind of huddled up, trying to avoid shots, just trying to last. And Searle was taking his time. Boom, big body shot. Boom, big leg kick. Boom, let me get in there. Let me snipe a couple headshots. And he just got the finish. But Searle gone is a heavyweight assassin. The way he moves, his technical striking, he is a damn problem. And boy, was this a display. And Sergey Spivak, he's had a lot of success with takedowns and, and really been able to ground and pound, get some elbows, cut some guys up and, and do that kind of thing. And that was not the case at all. Cyril barely took any damage and looked like he could fight again. Statistically, Cyril landed 110 total strikes, 109 of those significant. 
Sergey only landed 11 total and significant 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. I mean, this was complete domination. Searle starts a new winning streak. He is 2-2 two two since 2022. He's been active. He's fought some tough opponents. And he is, you know, just in his prime. Sergey has his three-fight winning streak come to an end. He does start a new losing streak. And also, people forget that Searle is a lot less experienced in pro fighting and in, in the MMA world than most. So... I really like the idea. Tom Aspinall said, hey, I'm going to Paris. I'm going to be front row. I'm going to fight the winner of Sergey and Cyril. I think that's the perfect situation. Could you imagine Tom Aspinall, Cyril, gone? Golly, the speed, the power, the just two fucking titans going to clash in an octagon. That better be pay-per-view. It better be in the big cage. It better not be at the apex in the fucking small cage. Um, because I assume Sergey, he's already weighing in as the backup fighter for uh, John and Stipe. I assume John wins that. They both retire. Sergey's in for an interim, maybe the winner of Tom and Cyril. Let's say John does say and fight Sergey. You know, Tom and Cyril are still out of the line, so why not make that fight happen? Um, and for Sergey, how about Jarzinho Rosenstrike? I, I think that would be a perfect matchup for him. But. God damn, did the French put on a show in the hometown crowd. They were crazy. They were wild. My favorite thing about seeing non-pay-per-view events in other countries and other places is how are the crowds? The French crowd didn't disappoint. They looked better than London in their last one, but London's been getting frequent cards. And this wasn't that deep. They had a lot of uh, hometown guys to, to root for, though. Cyril put on a show, Manon, Benoit, Saint-Denis, and some others in the prelims. So I enjoyed it. It was a great event. But this weekend, no more um, fight nights. We got pay-per-view action. We got UFC 293, another foreign affair going from um, Singapore to Paris to now Sydney, Australia. Prelims on ESPN News, a little bit different at 5 p.m. Pacific with all the football and things going on, um, but still on mainstream TV and then obviously ESPN Plus pay-per-view. So fights we will not break down. A fun storyline, Mike Diamond or Blood Diamond, another kickboxing stud that trains in city kickboxing, fights in the early prelims against Charlie Radke, who is a Cage Fury alum making his UFC debut. Um, you know, there's, for me to break that down, I don't know anything about Radke besides Cage Fury is a good promotion to come from. And Mike has been up and down. I was more excited about him earlier so I'm going to watch them when tune in, but we will not break that fight down, but it's one worth watching. We're going to kick this thing off, though. In the prelims, we got Nazra Haparis, the 28-year-old fighter, with a 14-5 record, taking on Landon Lone Wolf Quinones, the 26-year-old fighter, um, who's an ultimate fighter, short-notice fill-in for Nazra, uh, making his UFC debut. And although Landon wasn't the ultimate fighter champion at lightweight, he does seem like a solid fighter, a lot of potential. Nazrat is getting close to his prime. He has need and need of keeping some positive momentum going on in his career. And now this is his third different opponent. So a lot of, you know, juxtapositioning going on for Nazrat. And he's had to deal with that over COVID. You know, nothing's been easy for Nazrat. I'm sure he loved nothing better to put on a show in a USC pay-per-view event in Sydney, Australia. Nasrat is on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-2 two two since 2021. Nine of his 14 wins are via knockout. 
And Landon trains out of Kill Cliff FC with a bunch of dogs, man. He's on a five-fight winning streak outside of the Ultimate Fighter House. He is a Titan FC and Bellator alum, and five of his seven wins are via knockout. I doubt this goes with the scorecards. Both guys uh, heavy on the knockouts. Like to like to uh, you know mix up the striking. I I had seen Landon do a lot of grappling stuff in the Ultimate Fighter House. I ob obviously haven't seen his Titan FC fights, uh, but I think this is going to be fun, especially with you know Landon coming in late. Nazra having to deal with multiple opponents. I think you can't change your game plan so many times. Like, okay, what's this guy's strengths? What are my strengths? I'm just going to focus on that. Nasrat definitely has more experience. I think he is the smarter fighter here. Landon does have some serious power, trains with some studs, so you never know. That's why they fight. I am taking Nasrat in the prelims. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. Let's see if the hometown uh, studs could keep it going. London had a bunch of winners. They did have some losers. The French cleaned house. What can the Aussies do? We got Jamie Malarkey, the 29-year-old fighter with a 16-6 and record, taking on John the Bull McDessie. He's 38 years old with an 18-8 and record. And this is a fun fight. Two men in different stages. They definitely need some wins racked up. They've had a win, a couple losses, a win, a loss, a win, a couple losses. They really haven't had that momentum. You know, John definitely fighting to fight and get paid at this point at 38. And Jamie isn't even in his prime yet. Um, I, I he, You know, he hasn't had major quality wins, so he needs one here to get the better opponents and really prove himself in the UFC. Now, Jamie has a BJJ background. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two and two since 2022. 10 of his 16 wins are via knockout. Four of his six losses also via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. He does have a six-inch reach advantage. Now, John has a black belt in Shotokan Karate. He is on a one-fight losing streak. He is 1-2 and two since 2020, so hasn't been super active, hasn't had a ton of success in, in quite some time. But nine of his 18 wins are via knockout. Now, John hasn't been very active, and Jamie is trying to get that momentum going in his prime. I think Jamie, I think Jamie's going to be able to use his length to his advantage, pick John apart from distance. I assume John's going to try to close the distance, get in the pocket, let you know chaos reign a little bit. I am taking Jamie, though. I'm going with the Aussie. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we got Jack Farr Jenkins, 30 years old with a 12-2 record, taking on Chepe, the machine gun Mariscal, the 30-year-old fighter with a 14-6 record. Again, fun fight, UFC newcomers in their damn primes, looking to make a name for themselves in the featherweight division on pay-per-view main of, or on a pay-per-view card. Jack, he's on a nine-fight winning streak. He's 3-0 in the UFC. He's probably got some momentum and some confidence. He's a contender series alum. Five of his 12 wins via knockout, three via submission, so eight of 12 wins via finish. He's a finisher. Both of his losses also via submission. Now, Chepe, he trains at an elevation fight team. He is on a four-fight winning streak. He is a ring of combat, LFA, and Cage Fury alum. Six of his 14 wins are via knockout, 
and three of his six losses are also via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. Now, Chepe is coming off one of the more just like, if I could put two UFC fighters in a fight and it's going to look like a bar fight, that's what this was. In June, it was Chepe and Trevor Peak. He show he did showcase in this fight though his ability to put the you know stick on the gas pedal. He had good endurance. He had durability. But Jack's been really rolling the past few years. He's a very well-rounded fighter. He gets the hometown crowd to his advantage. I think that's going to be the difference here. I think the Aussies keep keep hot at this point. I'm taking Jack Jenkins, but I am not putting him on a parlay if possible. Moving on. We have another Aussie, Carlos, the Black Jag Olberg. 32-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record, taking on Dawoon Saseta Jung, the 29-year-old fighter with a 15-4-1 record. He was Dawoon. He's Dawoon. I don't really know what's going on. I've, I've said this before, but he is a stud. Um, this is an intriguing fight, right? Both guys on the edge are right in the middle of their prime. I do think this is the toughest opponent for Carlos thus far in his UFC career. Uh, Carlos lost to Kennedy and Shekaku the same year Dawoon defeated him. So a commonality at the same time in their careers. And Da is on a two-fight losing streak, but he is getting a striker-heavy matchup that is sure to deliver. You know, he's had a lot stiffer competition. I think he's a little bit more ironed out. But breaking it down, Carlos does train at City Kickboxing. He is a king of the ring champion in 17 and 19. So he, he fights. He fights often. He's shown his dur durability. He's on that four-fight winning streak. He is 5-1 in the UFC. He's a contender series alum. Six of his eight wins are via knockout. And he has a three-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. Get those, those big, powerful kicks coming. Now, Dawoon is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of the Korean top team. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two two since 2021, so he's been active. 11 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Now, both of these guys, typical studs in the light heavyweight division, they're power strikers. I think Carlos being older and coming off wins is going to go for the kill round one, you know, especially if Jamie and Jack win. The, the Aussies are doing his thing. He's going to look to be aggressive and go for that finish early. He doesn't want to trade tick for tack with a very good striker in Dawoon. But Da is a great counter striker. Um, as long as he can get out of round one, he could catch Carlos with a big shot, maybe in round one as well. It's going to be a fun fight. It's going to be a banger. But I'm betting the longer the fight goes, the more it will um, favor Jung. I am taking the underdog. I'm taking Dawoon. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. The dogs are coming. Now in the main card, we have another Aussie, Tyson Pedro, 31 years old with a 9-4 and four record, taking on Anton the Pleasure Man Turkali, 27 years old with an 8-2 and two record. Now, the story here is that both men are trying to earn their UFC stripes, so to speak. They're in their prime. You know, Anton, contender series alum, not quite in his prime, still trying to earn his value in the UFC, now, Tyson's been in the UFC for some time, though, but he was out three years due to an injury. He hasn't looked the same since he's been back. You know, before the injury, he had wins over the likes of Khalil Roundtree Jr., Paul Craig, some very quality names. I just haven't seen that. He could definitely put it on display this week, though. Breaking it down, 
Tyson does train out of city kickboxing. He's got a black belt in BJJ and Kempo Karate. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 2-1 and one since 2022, and five of his nine wins are via submission. Now, Anton is on a two-fight losing streak. He is 1-2 in the UFC since his Contender Series debut. He is a Contender Series and Brave alum, and five of his eight wins are via knockout. Now, I did see Anton sparring with Sean Strickland and practicing with him. I think that Tyson is going to have a striking advantage. He's going to be the aggressor in the fight. Anton, he's been there. He's taken some damage. He has nothing to lose. He's going to sit in the pocket and hang out. I think uh, it's going to be a, a hard fought fight by Anton. I just don't know if the confidence is needed. And Tyson, you know, he's been there, done that. He's been through a lot of adversity. I think that's going to be the difference maker. I am sticking with the Nasi. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Justin Badman Taffa, 29 years old with a 6-3 record, taking on Austin Lane, 35 years old with a 12-3 record. Now, this fight was supposed to happen in June. Austin Lane poked Justin's eye early. Uh, the fight got delayed. They stuck with the opponents. Here we are in Sydney. I think, personally, this fight is a setup for a showing-out party for Austin Lane. He's a former NFL DN looking to scrap. He's going to be scrapping with a very powerful banger in Taffa. Uh, it should be a fun one. It should not last long. Watch out for the eye pokes. Now, Austin was a DN drafted in the fifth round by the Jaguars. He played for the Chiefs, Lions, and Bears before his retirement. He is a contender series alum two times. First one was enough. Got it the second time. He did lose to Greg Hardy in that first attempt in 2018, another ex-NFLer. He is an Island Fights LFA and Fury FC alum. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout. All three of his losses via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. He's a long boy, though. Six-inch reach advantage, four-inch leg reach advantage. Justin has a blue belt in BJJ. He is a former rugby player for the Melbourne Storm. So two footballers, so to speak. He is on a two-fight winning streak and is 3-3 three and three in the UFC. Six of his six wins are via knockout. Now, if Taffa can comfortably get in range and get Lane up against the cage, dirty box, look for those power shots, those power hooks, he's going to have a chance. He does have a little bit more experience. I don't think that's going to fare well for him, though. I think Lane is going to be attacking with that reach advantage. Whoever is going to land clean early is going to have that quick KO uh, finish. But I like Lane with the distance, with the length. Uh, with the durability, he's an ex-football player. He knows tough and hard work. I am taking the underdog. I am putting him on a parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. <laughs> Moving on, we got Manel Starboy Cop, 29 years old with an 18-6 and six record and the number 10 next to his name, taking on short-notice contender series fighter Felipe Lipe Daytona Dos Santos, only 22 years old, undefeated with a 7-0 record. This is just a wild matchup. Felipe, for his UFC debut, is getting a top 10 flyweight. But Astro Boy did that a few months ago. His fight just got announced, and he got the victory. So you can't doubt him. Uh, but Kai Kara France had to pull out. This was supposed to be another Aussie on the card. Uh, it should be interesting to see what the quality is here. 
But Manel, he, he's a fun fighter to watch. He trains out of AKA Thailand. He is a risen alum and former champion. He is on a three-fight winning streak, and 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout for flyweight. That's ridiculous. Felipe trains out of shootbox Diego Lima. On the contender or on the uh, embeddeds, he had a episode two little FaceTime with Charles Dubronx Oliveira. He is an LFA alum. He's undefeated. He did have a no contest for an accidental groin kick, and three of his seven wins are via submission. I do think Felipe will show he's a worthy opponent. Although he's only 22, he has nice wins in Shooto Brazil and LFA. I'm sure he's full of confidence. He trains with a bunch of studs and shoot box. But Starboy, watch out for a highlight reel here. I'm taking Manel Cop. I am not putting him on a parlay because the odds are too big, but I do think he gets a victory. And then moving on to the Cobain, another Aussie. We got Ty Bam Bam to Avasa. 30 years old with a 15-5 and record and the number six next to his name. Taking on Alexander Drago Volkov. 34 years old with a 36-10 and record and the number eight next to his name. Now, this is going to be a heavyweight banger. Both men in their primes. Ty is trying to stay up in the top five that he deserved and, and earned, have a chance at another title shot. While Volkov, he's coming off some nice wins, but he was up in the top of the division. He got pushed back into the bottom of the top 15. He's trying to earn his right to get back right where he left off in his prime while he's still there. Breaking it down, four of Ty's last five fights have been performance of the night. Fight of the night, get the shoeies, get the 50 Gs. He's been showing up. He shows out. Uh, the story is always what's his walkout song going to be, whether it's Barbie Girl or who knows what. He is on a two-fight losing streak. 13 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Three of his five losses are via knockout. The life in the heavyweight division to knockout or to be knocked out. Now, Alexander uh, has a black belt in Sushin Jin a brown belt in Kaioshin and BJJ. He is an M1 and Bellator alum. He was a champion in both of those promotions. He's on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 since 2022. 24 of his 36 wins are via knockout. That is insane. He has a 5-inch reach advantage and an 8-inch leg reach advantage. And much like the Tafa Lane fight, I think the length is going to be too much. I've picked against Ty, against bigger guys. He's gotten the job done. But I don't know if it's been quite the difference in size uh, as Volkov possesses. And they're not definitely not as, as skilled or experienced as Volkov. I mean, the story is going to be the power shots and hooks from Ty. Can he get in the pocket? Can he wreak havoc, catch the tall Volkov? Or is Volkov going to keep him at, out at range, pick him apart, kind of like Cyril Gaunt did? I am not betting that Ty gets in and closes the distance. I think that Volkov's going to win this, win this by decision. It will be a hard-fought fight, but it's going to be tough for the, the smaller fighter in this affair. And much like Austin Lane, I am taking the taller striker. Australia is going to be upset. Everyone would love to see a shoey, but I am taking Drago Volkov. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we gain that bread. Then the main event, Israel. The last style bender, Adesanya, 34 years old with a 24 and 2 record, taking on Sean Strickland, 32 years old with a 27 and 5 record, and the number 5 next to his name. 
I still can't believe this is the actual title fight. It was rumored. Finally happened. Got official. I'm more excited about the next few days, what happens in the press, the shit talking, and seeing who Sean Strickland really is in the actual fight. But breaking it down, Israel has a kickboxing style. He trains at a city kickboxing. The gym is on display. The Aussie's on full display. I do have Tai Tuavasa losing, Tafa losing, and Olberg losing. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that shows up. The leader of the pack, Israel, has a purple belt in BJJ. He's a former Super 8 and King of the Ring champion, a glory winner in 2016, kickboxing fight of the year in 2017 against Alex Pajeda. He has five successful title defenses. He's a first two-time middleweight champion, most knockdowns in a USC title fight with four against Kelvin Gastelum. His last 10 fights have been a title fight. He is tied with Anderson Silva for the most knockdowns in UFC middleweight division history with 13. He was the 2018 UFC Newcomer of the Year, 2019 Fight of the Year against Kelvin Gastelum, the 2019 Fighter of the Year. He is on a one-fight losing streak. He is 3-1 since 2022. He's always active no matter what. Uh, he's one of the most fun, highest-selling champions on the UFC roster. He's going to show out for Sydney. 16 of his 24 wins via knockout. He had a 75-5 kickboxing record. And to add to the to the things Strickland has to overcome, he has a 4-inch reach advantage and a 3-inch leg reach advantage. Now, Sean trains out of Extreme Couture. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is a King of the Cage alum and former champion with five successful title defenses. He was the 2020 Comeback Fighter of the Year coming back after that crazy motorcycle accident. He's on a two-fight winning streak, and 11 of his 27 wins are via knockout. Now, personally, I think the only path to victory is for Sean to get multiple takedowns, have the control time to tire Izzy out, and steal some rounds Jan Blakovich style. I do not think that happens. I think that the striking difference is going to be really shown and, and really evident, the speed, the power difference between the two. Izzy's always moving. I don't know how Sean, in his while of just walking you down, is going to have success. The last time he did that against a great striker, he got knocked the, out against Alex Pajeda. You know, Sean's a little bit slower movement in the ring. He continues to move forward like a soldier. Izzy moves a lot. He pieces up his opponents from range. I'm saying Israel knockout rounds two or three. I'm taking the champion. I'm taking the style bender. Let's see what the odds are here. I think it's uh, a little lopsided on the odds as well. Just double check. He is minus 600. So I will not be putting him on a parlay. Those are too ugly of odds. But I am taking the style bender in the main event to let the Aussies go wild. It's a fun card. It's not the deepest of pay-per-views, but there's a lot of Aussies on display in Sydney with one of the most marketable and uh, most impressive champions in UFC history. Adesanya lost to Alex Beheda, lost his attempt at champ champ, but he's got five middleweight title defenses. This would be six. Um, one of the, the goats, Anderson, the spider, Silva, has 10 middleweight title defenses. So let's see if Israel can compete with that. He's still in his prime. But talking about next week, we have a deep fight night card in Vegas. Mexico Independence Day headline by the flyweight rematch. Alexa Grasso Valentina Shevchenko 2 on ESPN+. 
The tickets are affordable. I thought about going to Vegas. I will not be going to Vegas, but I can't wait. Episode 14, Bows and TKOs. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.